the 7th of November. Let's begin by praying the canticle of Zechariah in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. And the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high, shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Amen. May God guide our feet into the way of peace today. May God guide the feet of the whole wide world into the way of peace. With so much conflict going on around the globe, and of course, conflict in the whole wide world on Election Day as well. Lots to think about. Lots to pray about. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell's got news. Paul Luckman at the controls. Travis has the video stream up and running at sacredheartradio.com. Actually, it's at sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. That's, it's all those places, but uh, I'm supposed to say Sunrise Morning Show. At least I think. I don't know. I don't have a paper. Father Augustine Weta is going to be along with us, and he's going to share more wisdom from the Desert Fathers on decision-making. We'll check in with Marlon De La Torre from the Diocese of Columbus. Dr. Leonard Lorenzo has been doing a fascinating series with us on the questions that Jesus asks in Scripture. And this one uh, is a fun one, uh, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? Uh, kind of puts them on the spot there. And then over the weekend, we celebrated the Feast of St. Charles Borromeo. And there's a prayer after communion uh, for the Feast of St. Charles that Dr. Benjamin Lewis uh, will help us kind of see what the English and Latin uh, equivalencies are. He's got some really interesting stuff to say about how that prayer got translated. So stay with us if you can. Right now it's two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Voters are headed to the polls today and the battleground over the right to life this year is in Ohio. On the ballot is issue one, which if passed would enshrine abortion in the state constitution. The bishops of Ohio have been outspoken in urging the faithful and all people to vote no on issue one. And many have said the proposed amendment is too extreme, even for those who are pro-choice. Just to the south of Ohio and Kentucky, a heated gubernatorial race comes to a head today with Democratic incumbent Andy Bashir facing a challenge from State Attorney General Daniel Cameron. In Mississippi, Republican Governor Tate Reeves is seeking re-election. He's facing challenger Brandon Presley, who's vying to be the state's first Democratic governor in two decades. Meanwhile, control of Virginia's legislature is up for grabs today. All 140 seats in Virginia's General Assembly are on the ballot. 
Humanitarian aid is flowing into Gaza, but U.S. officials say it's not enough. More from Mark Mayfield. State Department Deputy Spokesman Vedant Patel told reporters on Monday that the U.S. is aggressively pushing to get more aid into the Gaza Strip as the war between Israel and Hamas continues. He said more than 400 trucks carrying supplies have crossed into Gaza from Egypt, but much more is needed. Meanwhile, Patel says the U.S. so far has helped more than 300 U.S. citizens evacuate from Gaza. I'm Mark Mayfield. Thousands of people gathered in New York last night for what was dubbed United for Israel. The event marked 30 days since the attack on October 7th to recall the lives lost and to renew the plea to get those held hostage back from Hamas. In addition, hundreds more with the group Jewish Voice for Peace made their message clear, unfurling banners at the base of the Statue of Liberty. Some proclaimed Palestinians should be free, while others carried messages like, quote, not in our name. Pope Francis yesterday met with a delegation from the Conference of European Rabbis. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Not weapons, not terrorism, not war, but compassion, justice and dialogue are the fitting means for building peace. With these words addressed to the Conference of European Rabbis, Pope Francis reiterated his impassioned plea for peace in the Holy Land. In his prepared remarks, which he handed to the delegation, the Pope also expressed his concern for the spread of anti-Semitic demonstrations in the world, which he said he strongly condemns. He highlighted that in this time in which we are witnessing violence and destruction, believers are called to build fraternity and open paths of reconciliation for all and before all in the name of God. They must therefore be witnesses of dialogue, he said. Referring specifically to the Jewish-Christian dialogue, Pope Francis recalled that relations with Judaism are particularly important for Christians because they share Jewish roots. We need Judaism to understand ourselves better, said the Pope. Recalling Pope St. John Paul II's words during his historic visit to the Synagogue of Rome on the 13th of April 1986, the Holy Father noted that Jewish-Christian dialogue is more than an interreligious dialogue. It is a family dialogue, he said. Bringing his address to an end, Pope Francis reaffirmed that Jews and Christians who are linked to each other before the one God are called to bear witness together to his word with their dialogue and to his peace with their actions. I am Lisa Zingarini. Senators from Maine want answers from the army on the army reservist who killed 18 people in Maine. Senators Susan Collins and Angus King sent a letter to the U.S. Army Inspector General asking about concerns Army personnel raised about Robert Cart's mental health and actions taken in response. They want to know if the Army followed proper procedures and if there was anything that should or could have been done to prevent the shooting. Card was a sergeant first class in the Army Reserves and had a history of mental illness before carrying out the shooting in Lewiston. And Shohei Otani, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Blake Snell are among the finalists for the most coveted awards in baseball. Major League Baseball revealed three finalists from each league for the MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, and Manager of the Year awards yesterday. Otani joined Rangers infielders Corey Seager and Marcus Semien. 
oh my gosh, I don't know his name, as nominations for the AL MVP. It's because they're in the AL. While Dodgers teammates Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman both joined Acuna in the NL race. Snell is up for the NL Cy Young Award after winning the AL Cy Young in 2018. He's up against Arizona's Zach Gallen, San Francisco's Logan Webb, Sonny Gray, Garrett Cole, and Kevin Gosman are all vying for the AL Cy Young this year. Well, I don't have a ton of opinions here. And I know he was hurt at the end of the season, but Shohei had like... I mean, he had an insane year. He always has an insane on the mound year. Yeah. and at the plate. Yeah, I don't know how you give it to anybody except for Shohei, unless you just say, "Well, he didn't have as many at bats as the other guys, <laughs> or didn't throw as many innings as the other guys." But even the fact that you're saying he had both at bats and innings, mm-hmm. I think Shohei gets it. Even though the Angels are terrible this year, yeah, it's a shame because the Angels have so many good players, but they're not—they never put it together. You don't think that Corey Seager will get it by nature being on the ah, let him let him, be, let him be content with the World Series MVP thing. I don't know. Probably I, I think that that plays into the decision. Yeah, he's got the making, one MVP. He? I don't know. Give it to Shohei. Shohei is a once-in-a-generation talent. Well, that's true. Who had true. a once-in-a-lifetime season. I, there, if, if only we had... Angels fans awake right now, they would back me up on this. The only Angels fan that I know personally is Ryan Lopez of Sacred Heart Radio, but ALS he's a transplant. Standings. So he's oh, they he might weren't not even be they awake. weren't completely in last place. The A's no, the second were to last. Terrible. Yeah, A's are getting ready to move to Vegas. So it's a weird year. It's yeah. a very weird year, but. You know, I, I think that Corey Seager getting the, the World Series MVP is just, I think, Shohei getting the Where were AL the Reds MVP. in the standings the year that Votto won the MVP? Do you remember? I don't know. That's always a painful question. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell me about another year the Reds I shouldn't even, a playoff game. I shouldn't even bring up Joey Votto. That's, a, that's, another, that's another sad conversation. Yeah. It's 10 minutes past the hour. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Augustine Weta, who's got a book called Pray, Think, Act. It's all about making better decisions with the help of the Desert Fathers. Father Weta, good morning. Good morning, and with with the help of the church, right? It, it's uh, My mama, or, uh, my parish priest always used to say, you've got to get to Mass on every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, unless you're sick or traveling by ox cart. Okay. Well, I don't have an ox cart handy, so that's that. You that better one's out get for me. Then. As long as you got Google Maps, you you really ought to get there, right? I I love how you said my mom. I mean, my parish priest told me this, and you probably <laughs> yeah. heard it from both. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I heard it from my parish priest first, and then my mother repeated it for the rest of my adolescent life. <laughs> well, this is what happens when your family goes to church together. So God bless her. Yeah, she she always said, "This is your rent. You can either leave home or you can go to mass on Sunday." And it worked. And it worked. And now you're a monk. Well, speaking yeah, she, of monks, uh, there's a story this week of a monk who was going to quote unquote leave tomorrow. I wonder if you could share that story with us. Yeah. Well, this is really. I love this one because it's kind of the story of my life. Uh, but the Desert Fathers said that a monk was tempted to leave his monastery. 
So every day he packed up his stuff and said to himself, I will leave tomorrow. He did this for nine years, after which God removes the temptation. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Desert Fathers are so human, you know, they're very simple in their spirituality, but it really hits home because, you know, it's the fact is, if, well, I think it was Trace of Lisieux who said something like, if I were to think about the rest of my life, I would go mad. <laughs> so I just try to focus on the present moment and serving Jesus in the here and the now. And the truth is, when, when you're trying to contemplate at least a real life-changing decision, um, that means that your future is going to be different, and the future is infinitely complex. I, I, I was talking about some, to someone about this the other day who has kids, and she said, I, there was one, once I had that kid, the whole world changed. My whole perspective on life was completely different. And there's w- once that happens, your whole life is different, right? So how are you going to predict that? <laughs> right. Well, because infinite people have infinite capacity to act on their infinitely free will, it seems. <laughs> you know, we've been right. talking, and, uh, Anna Mitchell had this uh, report, and, uh, you, you know, there's all these factors uh, that one can weigh into why people aren't having children anymore. Uh, in my yeah. area in D.C., people don't have children. They have houses and five dogs, right? They, there's, there's like That's all these right. different things that people have instead and, and all the ways that people kind of engage in this. And I've heard different formulations of why people would choose not to. Everything from, well, we can't afford it. Well, just so you know, nobody I know who's ever had children can afford children. You just, there's no way right. to calculate what a child would call. You, <laughs> you have no idea. No idea. Uh, and then people say, "Well, I'm not just emotion. I'm just not emotionally ready to have children." I got news for everybody: no one will ever be emotionally ready to have children. And you teach high school, so you know that no one is emotionally ready for a teenager. I don't care if they've got seven oh, of them, right? Yeah, so, well, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't like predict how all these things are going to play out, and you can't control them either. No. And uh, there's a famous study that this uh, psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania did. Back in 2005, his name is Philip Tetlock, and he surveyed like 300 of these experts, these sort of talking heads from television, on like what was going to happen within the next 10 years. As a real simple survey, it seems like, will this happen or not? Or will it stay the same, right? And in his, in his study, he, um, well, actually, I'll, just, I'll read you his actual uh, report. He says, the results were devastating. The experts performed worse than they would have if they had simply assigned equal probabilities to each of the three potential outcomes. In other words, people who spend their time and earn their living studying a particular topic produce poorer predictions than dart-throwing monkeys <laughs> who would have distributed their choices evenly over the options. Even in the region they knew best, Experts are not significantly better than non-specialists. And if I just think of the last five years, things have happened that no one could have predicted, and or, well, ten years maybe. <laughs> but um, and so, if you're going to make a decision, just just stick with the present moment. How are you right now? And and don't worry about the future too much because 
there's just no telling how it's going to turn out. Uh, well, I mean, and, and, I mean yeah. the the one thing you can do is act virtuously, right? You know, whatever the case well, is. Well, right. I mean, that's but beyond, you know, you, you hate to plan too far ahead because that can paralyze you in the moment. But, you know, I'll give right. you a little piece of behind the scenes. So uh, on the journey <laughs> home, the television show that I produce, uh, you know, you've got for years Marcus Grodi was the host. And the past couple of years, John Mark Grodi has been the host. And there's like this sort of, you know, fake overlook of Rome and the Tiber River and there's these bookshelves in there and those bookshelves I know people probably assume they are full of like really profound theological works they're actually just things that have kind of aesthetically cool looking spines and if you zoom in you'll notice that they're not always that profound but on the bottom shelf there's one I like to pull out uh, sometimes it was a book written in 1981 uh, and uh, it was by uh, let's see David Walachinsky Amy Wallace Irving Wallace Uh, they had this book it's called The Book of Predictions and sometimes I'll bring nah. it up to show people because it was like one of those things where they took all these different areas of life and they predicted what what the world was going to be like in terms of morality and technology and all these other things by X number of years <laughs> out into the future. And it's all – we bring it out and make fun of it because it's all catastrophically, like, insanely off. Uh, like because... people will be taking balloons to work every day. <laughs> <laughs> Jetpacks by 1987, you know, like all this stuff that's yeah. not true. Um, right. Well, we when I was predict. in high school, we used to predict that Japan was going to take over the world, and and, and just recently they quit predicting the overpopulation because now there's this what they call uh, was it a population famine or something that like all over Europe and North America and the West the population is just plummeting, and they're worried now that there could be enough people well, actually in China and India as well. So, I mean, no one knows. You, you just, when it comes to catastrophic predictions, I leave those to the experts and then I ignore the experts. Well, I mean, that's pretty good advice right there. Uh, <laughs> Father Augustine Weta, always a kick to talk to. I really appreciate him. We've got his book, Pray, Think, Act, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Back after this, it's 18 past. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity Health Share, a faith based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity Health Share can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844 334 3245. That's 844 334 3245. Support is from Affirm Films comes Journey to Bethlehem, a Christmas musical film for the whole family. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. You are in danger, Mary. This child. What is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem, starring Fiona Palomo, Milo Mannheim, Lecrae, Joel Smallbone, and Antonio Banderas. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere this Friday. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. 
This is Monsignor Chuck Kosanke. We need Catholic Radio to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world as a modern means to reach the hearts and minds of Catholics and all people and to have the church's teaching proclaimed and taught authentically and also to convey the church's news from an authentic perspective. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. 20 past, here's Anna with headlines. Voters are headed to polls today, and the battleground for the right to life is in Ohio, where voters will decide whether to enshrine abortion in the Ohio Constitution. And Pope Francis met yesterday with a delegation from the Conference of European Rabbis. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with Marlon De La Torre after this, it's 21 minutes past the hour. If you're going to think outside the box to find new customers, you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Paul is well known for his many journeys. We might imagine the Apostle to the Gentiles as an itinerant missionary, but that would be only part of the picture. Paul's custom was to remain in a single place for extended periods of time, using that place as a kind of base of operations. He would dispatch trusted associates like Timothy and Titus to represent him in other places. On his second journey, for example, Paul used Corinth in this way, spending a year and a half there and writing at least one letter to the church in Thessalonica from Corinth. On his third journey, Paul used the great city of Ephesus in the same way, and from that city, He wrote to the Corinthians, to the people in Philippi, and possibly also the Christians in Colossae and Galatia. After his work in the eastern provinces of Rome, Paul planned to preach in the western provinces, notably Spain. And this time, his base of operations would be Rome itself. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Scheer. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. We thank you for joining us on this Tuesday, November 7th. It's a big day in pretty much everywhere that has a ballot box. So that's probably your town. That's actually everywhere in the United States of America today. So pray and discern and maybe fast today as well for the nation and try and do what you can to... Do the best you can to represent your faith and to stand up for the truth. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm joined now by Marlon De La Torre from knowingisdoing.org. Marlon, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Go Bucks. All right, so we're looking today at the language of the cross. You've got a post of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Paul talks about what he delivered to uh, his, you know, 
congregations as of <laughs> first importance, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's a good thing for us to think about, you know, because I think we can look around the theological landscape and the moral landscape and think about this being important and that being important. But when it came to Paul, what for him was the first importance to tell oh people? Oh my gosh. I mean, th- this is written to the Corinthians, to the Romans. I mean, he, he espouses in the Ephesians, just the, the whole recap and recall of why Christ died. Um, he literally painstakingly goes through this entire uh, course of study, if you will, on what happened, what were the events that laid our foundation as Christians, as Catholics in the early church. And so he he just systematically tells uh, the people, look, this is what happened. This is what he did. This is how he died. This is why he came. This is why he conquered sin and death. This is why the, the gates of heaven are open to us. And so he just literally goes through this beautiful process and uh, tells them, this is of first importance. This is literally what you should be focusing on. This should be your language that you're speaking to others who want to come home to the church. And so he emphasizes this in a very beautiful way. And it's something that we should uh, heed uh, if for those of us involved in media, involved in teaching, whether in the classroom, outside the classroom, in the parish, that this should be the first importance of faith for us um, to lay this foundation and to bring awareness to someone who maybe an agnostic, an atheist, a fallen away Catholic, look, someone did do something for you, that you are not a lost cause or a lost hope. You're not someone that should be ignored, uh, but something happened that was so intimate and so beautiful that you may not see it now, but allow me to speak of it um, on his behalf for you, and hopefully you will see just how significant this uh, this death of our Lord is. And it is something that can be somewhat uncomfortable, depending on <laughs> your theological persuasion, to really emphasize the cross. Uh, but, you know, Catholics, I mean, we sometimes get a, a, a weird rap uh, for <clears throat> having Jesus and his body on the cross in our Mm -hmm. uh, churches and in our homes, right? In our chapels and around our necks. And, you know, some people might say it's morbid, it's weird. Maybe can we focus more on like, I don't know, helping out of the soup kitchen or something. But the the problem is, is that that's why we do those things. That's why we help out of the soup kitchen because Christ laid down his life for us. And the least we can do is like inconvenience ourselves slightly for our neighbor. I mean, it's such a low bar that we set for ourselves, but I wonder without the cross, if we'd be setting the bar for ourselves at all sometimes. Correct. You're absolutely right. I think we tend to forget that the the whole imprint of that corpus is really the gift of humility and the gift of understanding our own uh, viability as human beings. What I mean by that is this, that the, the, the beauty of, of, why, of why God became man, and, and you look at this whole um, transition of the incarnation of the Word made flesh, there's always these progressions that we see in Scripture with, with how God communicates to us. And so when we see the living Word of God take human form, and we see that this reality did exist, did occur, that this event was offered up, just to save our own wretched sin, then we have to look at ourselves and say, well, why? Why would that occur? Why did that happen? Why this representation of this man, of this body that was completely scorched on this cross and then killed? Why is that so significant and not gory? Because it places us in a sense of humility, in a sense of understanding that there's something greater than ourselves and there's someone in far greater need uh, than our own. And this is the beauty of this progression of faith. That this first importance is I'm called to seek those who are in most need. And that's a beautiful way of really living our faith. It really is. And I just want to read, uh, since this is the basis for today's conversation, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, Paul says, 
He says, Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Uh, these are this is the mystery of faith, right? What do we say when yes, uh, when when we you know proclaim it at mass? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's the core, right? Yes. That's the core of what it's all about. So, um, what are some ways, maybe uh, with just a moment left, uh, that you would encourage us to to really make the the cross a focal point in how we think and pray and act today? Oh, absolutely. I think, especially within the home, with your children should be aware of the language that, that that Jesus not only saves, but that he lived and that he sacrificed. And so when we look at our own conscience and do a simple examination of conscience, people tend to forget that the examine is to help us understand what Christ did and have we met that part of the sacrifice. And then from there, just doing a simple lectio divina of meditating on this beautiful passage from 1 Corinthians 15, say, Lord, what do you want of me today? I think those two simple things will get us going. Indeed. It's a great passage. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture, by the way, because it also talks about how uh, this is a great meditation for all souls day. Indeed, we will not sleep. We will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. All right. Beautiful. Uh, that, That the Lord will come to uh, redeem us and reunite yes. body and soul so that this, those who serve him can, you know, who have died will rise like he died and rose, <laughs> right? It's a great hope yeah. of Christians. Marlon De La Torre, we've got Knowing is Doing linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a blessed day. You too, Matt. Go Bucks. Again, while you're at sunrisemorningshow.com, enter your email address, subscribe, get those show notes delivered to your inbox daily. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Voters are headed to the polls on this election day, and the pro-life community has their eyes on Ohio. On the ballot in Ohio is issue one, which, if passed, would enshrine abortion in the state constitution. The bishops of Ohio have been outspoken in urging the faithful and all people to vote no. And many have said the proposed amendment is too extreme even for those who are pro-choice. Recreational marijuana is also on the ballot in Ohio today. Just to the south in Kentucky, there's been a heated gubernatorial race. Democratic incumbent Andy Bashir is facing a challenge from State Attorney General Daniel Cameron. In Mississippi, Republican Governor Tate Reeves is seeking re-election against Brandon Presley, who's trying to become the first, the first Democratic governor of Mississippi in two decades. Also, control of Virginia's legislature is up for grabs with all 140 seats in the, the state's, the Commonwealth's General Assembly are on the ballot. As many as 45 U.S. service members may have been injured in recent attacks in Iraq and Syria. Mark Mayfield reports. NBC News reports that's more than twice as many as the Pentagon had previously disclosed. Bases housing U.S. personnel have been attacked dozens of times since October following the start of the war between Israel and Hamas. The drone and rocket attacks are believed to have been carried out by groups linked to Iran. The military is monitoring about two dozen service members who may have suffered traumatic brain injuries during the attacks. I'm Mark Mayfield. Humanitarian aid may be flowing into Gaza, but U.S. officials say it is not enough. State Department Deputy Spokesman Vedant Patel told reporters 
The U.S. is aggressively pushing to get more aid into the Gaza Strip as the war between Israel and Hamas continues. He said more than 400 trucks carrying supplies have crossed into Gaza from Egypt, but much more is needed. Meanwhile, Patel says the U.S. has helped more than 300 U.S. citizens evacuate Gaza so far. Pope Francis met yesterday with a delegation from the Conference of European Rabbis. Vatican News reports the Holy Father focused on the importance of Jewish-Christian dialogue in bringing about peace and justice in the Holy Land. He also condemned the rise in anti-Semitism, saying, quote, Believers are called to build fraternity and open paths of reconciliation for all and before all in the name of the Almighty, end quote. The Holy Father also met yesterday with some 7,000 children. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones has more. Pope Francis welcomed children from around the world to the Vatican's Paul VI Hall to share a few moments of joy and laughter during a meeting themed, Let's Learn from Boys and Girls. Addressing the young audience, the Pope expressed his gratitude to the children and those who accompanied them, as well as the organizers of the event, including Cardinal Jose Tolentino and the Dicastery for Culture and Education. The Pope also acknowledged all the other families and organizations contributing to this event. Pope Francis began his address by acknowledging the theme as being unique about learning from children. And he underscored the importance of learning from children as they continually offer valuable lessons to the world. And the Pope described how children embody the beauty of life in its simplicity and the joy of being together, two gifts from God that should be cherished, he noted. Pope Francis then urged the children to proclaim together that life is a gift. God loves us. We are all brothers and sisters. The Pope repeated those words and asked his young audience to repeat them after him. La vita è un dono. Tutti insieme? I'm Thaddeus Jones. And former President Trump wrapped up his testimony in his New York civil fraud trial yesterday. Trump repeatedly sparred with the judge as prosecutors pressed him on his financial records. At one point, the judge called on Trump's lawyers to, quote, control their client. New York's Democratic Attorney General is accusing Trump of inflating his net worth so the Trump Organization could obtain more favorable loans. Trump's daughter Ivanka is expected to testify tomorrow. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. The Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. 
Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Should we wait until we are in extreme danger before we receive anointing of the sick? We should not wait until we are in extreme danger before we receive anointing of the sick. But if possible, we should receive it while we have the use of our senses. How many times have I been called to a hospital bed to anoint someone only to find that that person has slipped into a coma? The family says, you know, just yesterday she was talking about all sorts of things. And then they call me. It's too bad because we want a person to be conscious when they receive this great sacrament. And with full will, we're able to say, yes, Jesus, I want to see you. Try to get the priest to come and visit your family member when they are in a state of full consciousness and when they are able to respond and to have a conversation. It won't make them afraid. Rather, when the priest comes, it can bring great consolation for their souls and preparation for eternal life. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo from the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. He's host of the Church Life Today podcast, and we've been going through his book, A God Who Questions. Good morning, Dr. DeLorenzo. Good morning, Annie. So today's question from Jesus is, who do the crowds say that I am? And I was thinking about this, Dr. DeLorenzo, Taken out of context, especially in our day and age, this is quite the loaded question. (laughs) It really is. So it is the question of maybe you could say the reputation of Jesus or the question of the expectations of Jesus or putting Jesus in his place, his context. So uh, as you say, it could really be a loaded question today or maybe in every age. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's get the context now. So this is Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the people say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the old prophets has risen. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. What does Peter's response tell us, do you think? I think Peter's response tells us that something has been given in grace through faith, that his recognition of who Jesus is right there is not simply the result of his own uh, rationalization. It's not the result of his own deductive reasoning. It's the result of being drawn into Jesus's prayer with him that he's been given to see for the moment who Jesus truly is and who Jesus truly is for him and for others. Now, of course, as we know, this vision and this grasp that Peter has uh, evades him pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And he turns from Jesus again, as is Peter's custom. But in that moment, uh, he is grasped by what he sees in faith. And that vision is the vision of the truth of who Jesus is. So let's take this into our own time when The idea of acceptance of who I really am, whatever that means, Mm. is really considered the greatest commandment by many in, in our culture today. So my question is, 
why then do we not afford God that same kind of acceptance of who hmm. he really is? That's a beautiful and really powerful question. I think, you know, the way that you started that thinking about claiming my own identity or creating myself, we take the initiative and we, in fact, take the prerogative to create an image of ourselves to build up our own profile uh, for one reason or another. But of course, the truth of who we are as human persons is that our identity is first received. It's who God has made us to be. And that takes actually a responsiveness and a receptivity to receive ourselves. So as you wonderfully turned it there, uh, why not afford also that kind of generosity to God that we ought to receive who God is rather than creating God in our own image. And I think beginning from there, we can see the ways in which we do that to other people as well. We create images of who others are. We fit them into the narratives that we want to tell. And we know, I think from experience, that one of the most difficult things to do is allow someone else to be who they are and reveal themselves to us on the terms that have been given, not what we want them to be. And I think those of us, even with our closest friends, are constantly involved in that process of conversion, of being converted to the truth of who our friend is, not the ways in which we oftentimes uh, confine them to our preconceived notions or our expectations or our ideas. Well, it's, I, I'm just like, trying to do the mental gymnastics here because I was just thinking about we are <laughs> we are made in the image and after the likeness of God that is how mm -hmm. we receive our identity so we are called to be God to be like God right I mm -hmm. mean that is how he created us to be one with him for all eternity um, and yet we we place these ideas of what we want God to be in our own image and after our own likeness. I mean, it's like this inverted way of thinking about it. Like, okay, this is how I am and I'm not going to change. And so that must be how God is then. Um, it's almost this twisting of under the understanding of being made in the image and likeness of God. That's Does exactly that right. I'm trying oh, to absolutely. Like, figure it out no, in no, my no. head. That's right. I mean, I think this is uh, the insight of St. Augustine sort of writ large that we who are made to praise God actually turn things around and make all things praise ourselves, including yeah. our image of God that wow. we draw into a function of our own sort of self-presumed glory. And the whole discipline of the human life, it would seem, is learning how to yield that faulty control, that control that we're tempted to, and to be drawn into the primary image of God to allow ourselves to be grafted onto him rather than conforming him to what we would like to see, which is usually something that would serve our own interests, that would serve our own uh, sort of faulty desire. So, I mean, we're touching on the whole mystery of life, I think. The, the turn from sin to conversion is the turn from controlling God according to our image to letting ourselves be formed and reformed in God's image. So how do we work to bring ourselves out of the crowd and and into mm. the place of Peter in, in accepting God for who he really is? Well, I find one of the most uh, sort of stirring and surprising parts of this passage comes right at the beginning. And, and perhaps like when we read through it the first time, we don't catch it, but it says, when Jesus was praying in solitude and the disciples were with him, 
That's a bizarre thing. Jesus is in solitude and the disciples are with him. And we see this time and time again, that when Jesus withdraws, when he, as it's being told to us, is alone, is involved in the depths of intimate prayer with his father. In fact, he makes a place for his disciples there. And it is precisely in that place that Peter has this recognition by faith. So I think that the path for us to recognizing God as he is, has to do with detaching regularly, time and time again, from the noise of the world. That is yeah. to enter into the silence and solitude of prayer, where Jesus will be waiting for us and where we meet him. But I think also, and I and I put this in this in the chapter, I think also those traditional practices of the church that it recommended to us, especially during the season of Lent, but not only then, the practices not only of prayer, but also of fasting to letting go to removing from ourselves something that we would otherwise want, and the practice of almsgiving, which is to displace our own focus on ourselves and give our interest to the needs of the neediest, where God, in fact, puts his own interest. Yeah. Those, I think, restore us slowly, time and time again, to the correct image of God that we are not just thinking about who God is, but actually being removed from the other ideas we have and restored to the right practice of communion with others. So I'd say that the best way to come to know who God is, is to engage in those practices of fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. You can find his book, A God Who Questions, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We got Dr. Benjamin Lewis joining us next. It's a quarter till. Support is for MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, but I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. <laughs> Mother Angelica Live Classics. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Television and Radio. On the next More to Life, trust in me. 
Has someone broken your trust? We'll help you heal your relationship. That's later today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, the 7th of November. Election Day. Here's Anna with headlines. Voters are headed to the polls today, and the pro-life community is watching and praying for Ohio, where a proposed amendment to enshrine abortion in the state constitution is on the ballot. Humanitarian aid may be flowing into Gaza, but U.S. officials are saying it's not enough. And Pope Francis yesterday met with a delegation from the Conference of European Rabbis. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 minutes before the hour. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Dr. Benjamin Lewis from the International Commission on English in the Liturgy. Dr. Lewis, good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. And uh, at the beginning of November, we celebrate the Feast of St. Charles Borromeo. And there was a prayer uh, that you wanted to share with our listeners uh, to kind of get a sense of the English translation compared to the Latin that it comes from and maybe give us like a cool sort of window into this. Uh, Which one were you looking at specifically? Yeah, so for the Mass for St. Charles Borromeo, I want to look at the prayer after communion. And before I read it in English, I want to clue you in that there is a little rhetorical flourish that you should be listening for. I'll see if you catch it when I read it. Uh Uh-oh, I'm on, I'm on, I'm being quizzed now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So this is the prayer after communion for St. Charles Borromeo. May the sacred mysteries of which we have partaken, O Lord, we pray, give us that determination which made St. Charles faithful in ministry and fervent in charity through Christ our Lord. Okay, so I'm just trying to think of all the Latin roots of those words and coming up with absolutely nothing. So uh, what is kind of like the angle there? So so all you need to listen for is just the English. The very end, we've got a nice little parallel uh, two phrases, faithful in ministry and fervent, fervent in charity. charity. Okay. So it's a nice little bit of alliteration, faithful and fervent. Um, you might think that the translator just sort of came up with that in English on his own, just as a kind of rhetorical flourish. But it's actually something that's in the Latin text as well. So the Latin there at the end of that prayer, um, faithful in ministry is translating in ministerio fidelem, and fervent in charity is translating in caritate ferventem. So fidelem, faithful, ferventem, fervent. So it's one of these happy situations where the English translation can actually follow the Latin quite closely and and reproduce a kind of rhetorical and even poetic flourish that's present in the Latin of the prayer. Um, so that's kind of a nice little um, thing that we, we don't always get to get to reproduce those kinds of elements in the Latin, but when we can, it sort of, uh, it helps make it uh, a little more memorable. Uh, it makes it stick a little better in the mind to have that kind of parallel at the end, faithful in ministry and fervent in charity. But there's actually something more, uh, there's more, there's a third parallel phrase in the Latin that we didn't translate um, with the same alliteration in English. It's, um, if you go back up to give us that determination, which made St. Charles faithful in ministry and fervent in charity, the word that we've, the phrase that we've translated as determination is in the Latin, it's animi fortitudinem. 
Oh, so wow. Really so got, like the spirit of fortitude. Exactly. Or the for, fortitude of spirit. Um, oh. Yeah. So fortitude of spirit, um, or you might say firmness of mind. Uh, so determination, it's it's in the same range of meanings. Um, it, it's maybe not the most literal way to translate it, but it gets the same idea. So I think I, I, I'm just speculating a bit here, but I suspect that perhaps one reason we didn't translate that literally as fortitude of spirit or firmness of mind or something like that is uh, if we had had three parallel phrases all alliterating on the letter F, uh, somebody probably would have complained that that was just a little bit too heavy. <laughs> A little bit too rhetorical. You know, we were being nobody too fancy. ever complains about too much puns or alliteration <laughs> on this radio show. So, I mean, no, but that is so cool. You know, but it, it also kind of reminds me of uh, of something that, that I've been meaning to 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 ask you to explain because when you say you know faithful in charity <clears throat> or fervent in charity, right? Faithful in ministry. When you hear it in the Latin, those words faithful and fervent are actually at the end of the sentence, right? right? Because the, you, you're dealing with not just you know, trying to figure out what word matches in English, but you're also kind of the sentences. I mean, it's not like translating Yoda, but that's the best example I can think of. Like sure. some things that would be normally at the beginning of our sentences are at the end of the sentence in Latin. Yeah, yeah. So, t so Latin word order works a little differently than English word order. So there's a little more flexibility, um, and typically, adverbs or adverbial phrases in Latin will come immediately before the word that they're modifying. So here, it, in ministry, faithful, is that, that's the word order in Latin, in ministerio fidelum. So in ministry, faithful. So the phrase in ministry is kind of modifying faithful. How were they faithful? How was he faithful? He was faithful in ministry. How was he fervent? He was fervent in charity. So in English, we tend to put those kinds of adverbs after the word that they modify. But in Latin, they usually come before. Dr. Benjamin Lewis, if our listeners want to connect with you, maybe get a copy of the Divine uh, Office Hymnal. How do they do so? Well, uh, they can connect with us on the on the internet at icellweb.org. And uh, if they want to order a copy of the Divine Office Hymnal, it's being published by GIA. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Benjamin Lewis. Again, head over to icellweb.org. Uh, Check out that Divine Office Hymnal. I don't know about you, Anna Mitchell. Uh, and there are a lot of things to listen to around the dial. Mm -hmm. They say that you learn something new every day about your faith. Um, based on the people that have been willing to come on this show and do segments yeah. and have answered their emails and phone calls and, and have decided to agree to, to, to be on here, I learn like 50 new things a day At in least. this gig. I know, right? It's, it's so pretty true. cool. It's so true. You're right. So, uh, I mean. Especially when it comes to translating things from the Latin. Well, we've got some more of that uh, next hour because we're going to talk about some translating that uh, Father Robert Nixon did with St. Albert the Great. Yep. But, you know, it's it's fun to me. Like, it reminds me that the Catholic faith touches literally everything we do. And as you and I have joked before, when someone asks us, you know, who we are and what we do, and we're like, oh, I do a Catholic radio show. Like, oh, what do you talk about? We're like, only the stuff that Catholicism is relevant to, which is everything. 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 I, I just want to put that reminder back out there, because it is election day, and there are forces that would have you kind of believe or narrow your faith to a thing that causes you to vote a certain way. Well, make no mistake, your faith should make you uh, judge rightly and vote a certain way. But you mm -hmm. cannot confine your faith to that. Your faith is not just how you vote. 
It's how you live and move and have your being. It's how you make dinner. It's how you drive. Yep. It's how you interact with every single person who walks across your path today. Well, there are those who would love to see people separate their faith from their vote. They're, the devil wants us to only be able to talk about like two or three things and only in the most like angry and frustrated way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your faith is life-giving. Um, Matt, yesterday my Jehovah's Witness friend came to visit me oh, again. Oh, nice. Yeah, and um, she— she asked me she was asking me like how how do i see satan you know on earth how does he influence and blind people and i was like oh girl how many ways can we I count was about to say, and let she me goes count the ways. do you think that religion is one of those ways and i was like i'm a diehard catholic yes i do look to 1517 and she looked at me and she's like what was 1517 Oh. oh dear <laughs> like it's embarrassing when the catholic reminds you of the date of the reformation that's yeah. supposed to be embarrassing uh-huh. for us well anyway and it is but i get embarrassed by catholics all the time yeah and i'm sure the church gets embarrassed by me many times more than that oh boy we got another full hour of the sunrise morning show coming up it's three till It is Tuesday, the 7th of November. It's Election Day. Let's pray St. Ignatius of Loyola's prayer against anxiety in every arena of our life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O Christ Jesus, when all is darkness and we feel our weakness and helplessness, give us the sense of your presence, your love, and your strength. Help us to have perfect trust in your protecting love and strengthening power, so that nothing may frighten or worry us. For living close to you, we shall see your hand, your purpose, your will through all things. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. It is a better way start a Tuesday, the Sunrise Morning Show. Lots going on in the United States of America today. Pray for our country. Uh, pray for your own discernment. And uh, just pray that our nation will be converted in such a way that it recognizes the beauty and dignity of every human life, uh, that it recognizes the cause of justice in every area of life, and that we don't forget who, at the end of the day, is in charge. And it ain't people in... Uh, fancy buildings in capital cities. Ultimately, we answer to a greater reality. Up this hour, we got lots to get to. Anna Mitchell's going to talk to Father Robert Nixon about poverty of spirit. Christy Baller will join us from Silent No More to talk more about Ohio's Issue 1, one of the biggest things on the ballots today. Steve Ray will join us as well. Also, Chris McGregor on Elizabeth of the Trinity's Prayer to the Trinity. St. Elizabeth's feast day is tomorrow. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news, a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. 
Good morning. The polls are open across the eastern time zone and opening now in many parts of the central time zone with consequential votes on this election day. The battleground for the right to life is in Ohio. On the ballot is issue one, which if passed would enshrine abortion in the Ohio Constitution. The bishops of the state have been outspoken in urging the faithful and all people to vote no and Many saying the proposed amendment is too extreme even for those who are pro-choice. Recreational marijuana is also on the ballot in Ohio. Just to the south in Kentucky, there's been a heated gubernatorial race that comes to a head today with Democratic incumbent Andy Bashir facing a challenge from State Attorney General Daniel Cameron. In Mississippi, Republican Governor Tate Reeves is seeking re-election. He's facing challenger Brandon Presley who's vying to be the state's first Democratic governor in two decades. Meanwhile, control of Virginia's legislature is up for grabs today. All 140 seats in Virginia's General Assembly are on the ballot today. In other news, humanitarian aid is flowing into Gaza, but U.S. officials say it's not enough. More from Mark Mayfield. State Department Deputy Spokesman Vedant Patel told reporters on Monday that the U.S. is aggressively pushing to get more aid into the Gaza Strip as the war between Israel and Hamas continues. He said more than 400 trucks carrying supplies have crossed into Gaza from Egypt, but much more is needed. Meanwhile, Patel says the U.S. so far has helped more than 300 U.S. citizens evacuate from Gaza. I'm Mark Mayfield. Meanwhile, as many as 45 U.S. service members may have been injured in recent attacks in Iraq and Syria. NBC News reports that's more than twice as many as the Pentagon has previously disclosed. Bases housing U.S. personnel have been attacked dozens of times since October following the start of the war between Israel and Hamas. The drone and rocket attacks are believed to have been carried out by groups linked to Iran. The military is monitoring about two dozen service members who may have suffered traumatic brain injuries during these attacks. Pope Francis met yesterday with a delegation from the Conference of European Rabbis. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Not weapons, not terrorism, not war, but compassion, justice and dialogue are the fitting means for building peace. With these words addressed to the Conference of European Rabbis, Pope Francis reiterated his impassioned plea for peace in the Holy Land. In his prepared remarks, which he handed to the delegation, the Pope also expressed his concern for the spread of anti-Semitic demonstrations in the world, which he said he strongly condemns. He highlighted that in this time in which we are witnessing violence and destruction, believers are called to build fraternity and open paths of reconciliation for all and before all in the name of God. They must therefore be witnesses of dialogue, he said. Referring specifically to the Jewish-Christian dialogue, Pope Francis recalled that relations with Judaism are particularly important for Christians because they share Jewish roots. We need Judaism to understand ourselves better, said the Pope. Recalling Pope St. John Paul II's words during his historic visit to the Synagogue of Rome on the 13th of April 1986, the Holy Father noted that Jewish-Christian dialogue is more than an interreligious dialogue. It is a family dialogue, he said. Bringing his address to an end, Pope Francis reaffirmed that Jews and Christians who are linked to each other before the one God are called to bear witness together to his word with their dialogue and to his peace with their actions. 
I am Lisa Zingarini. Senators from Maine want answers from the Army on the Army reservist who killed 18 people in Maine last month. Senators Susan Collins and Angus King sent a letter to the U.S. Army Inspector General asking about concerns Army personnel raised about Robert Card's mental health and actions taken in response. They want to know if the Army followed proper procedures and if there was anything that should or could have been done to prevent the shooting. And there's been a major managerial shakeup happening in Major League Baseball. The Chicago Cubs fired David Ross yesterday and hired former Milwaukee Brewers skipper Craig Council to become the club's newest manager. ESPN reports the deal is a record-setting five-year, $40 million contract, which will pay Council $8 million Per year. Meanwhile, the post-Terry Francona era has officially arrived in Cleveland with the Guardians naming Stephen Vaught as their newest manager and the next skipper of the Mets has been chosen. According to ESPN, the Mets are hiring Carlos Mendoza as their new manager. Wow. Craig Council at the Cubs? Yeah, this wow. is uh, this is going to be a little bit different for the uh for the National League Central. I'm just trying to think this through, you know, because uh, Council played for the Brewers. He didn't play for the Cubs. Of course, he only played for the Brewers for like a year, I think. Yeah, I remember him mostly as a Marlin, right? Yeah, I mean, he won the World Series with the Marlins. Um, You know, Paul Lockman and I think through this uh, a lot because we play that Immaculate Grid game. I don't know if you know about this. I'm not familiar. It's like this thing where it's like a grid. It's like three categories across the top, three down the side. It's like a nine nine square grid oh like a punnett square yeah but you gotta like line it up like uh so like brewers might be on the top and then like marlins might be on the side and you got to pick a player that played for both the brewers and the marlins but you got to pick one that you don't think everybody else is going to pick so you can get a smaller percentage and who usually wins these between the two of you i don't think that we play it that way anna mitchell oh who wins wordle do you play wordle to win Paul is telling me that you win more often than he does. Well, but I'm older than him, and I collected baseball cards during a very specific era of the 80s and 90s. Well, Paul has baseball cards in front of him there in the control room. Well. I know, because I start my day in that room. Well, there you have it. There you have it. News, weather, sports. And and more. more. Today is Tuesday, November the 7th. Please be praying for the state of Ohio, particularly here on this election day. We'll talk more about that with Christy Baller in just a little bit. Um, But some consequential uh, votes happening around the country when it comes to building a culture of life from, you know, the legal side of things. So be praying today on this election day. It's nine past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Robert Nixon. He is a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We are going through St. Albert the Great's Paradise of the Soul. Father, welcome back. Thank you, Eddie. It's wonderful to be with you today. It is wonderful to have you. And today we are going to unpack St. Albert's reflections on the virtue of poverty of spirit. And this is, of course, one that we hear in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Father, I have to say, 
I have never heard anyone give a real definition of what poverty of spirit is. So I was very grateful to have that right at the beginning here with St. Albert. Can you discuss that? Um, Yes. So he talks about this spirit, poverty of spirit, um, means to be ready to leave all things freely for the sake of God and to possess nothing beyond the necessities of life. Um, This charism of poverty extends to being willing to go without things which are necessary at certain times for the love of God. And I think this is so important in poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit just doesn't mean that you happen to be poor for whatever reason, but it means that it is something which is consciously embraced. There's this willingness to go without things for the sake of the love of God. And and I think the fact that it's done for the love of God is the key thing here in what makes his genuine poverty of spirit, which is spoken of in the Beatitudes. Well, yeah, I mean, this reminds me of, say, the purpose of fasting or almsgiving, this sort of emptiness, but it's not emptiness for emptiness sake. I mean, the Lord doesn't want us to be hungry just to be hungry. He wants us to be hungry for him. And so to be poor in spirit, to to be willing to embrace physical poverty has to be for a purpose. Exactly, exactly. And of course, we know that poverty in itself um, is not a good thing. Of course, the church does all it can to alleviate poverty, and this is one of the most important um, aspects of of any society, that poverty shouldn't be widespread. But poverty of spirit is this uh, detachment, this willingness to give up certain things for the love of God. And, And, you know, no matter who we are, whatever our situation is in life, from time to time, we do have to give up things for the love of God and for the service of our fellow men, of, of family members and so forth, that we need to be ready to deny ourselves sometime for the love of God and, and the love of our neighbor. Well, this is what the religious do, right? This is one of the vows, vow of poverty, e- chastity, e- and exactly. obedience. E- exactly. You know, And um, I think St. Albert is really putting that into the proper perspective for his Dominican brothers, what it really means to take on this spirit of poverty, that it's not simply not to have enough, but rather it's this willingness, this joyful willingness to give all to God. Father, can you talk about the the three considerations that St. Albert has when it comes to cultivating yeah. poverty? Um, so he, he shares with us these three very important considerations. Firstly, that this detachment uh, for the sake of God is very pleasing to God. And if you think about it, it's, it's an expression of love. Um, if we think about a person who loves us, a sign of the genuineness of that love is that they're prepared uh, to give up things. And, and God also recognizes this poverty as an expression of love. The next consideration is that Jesus took upon this life of poverty himself. So through his earthly life, the Son of God um, showed us what it means to be a fully realized human being. And, and he chose not to live as a rich person in materially secure circumstances, but rather to give himself over 
to the providence of God and also to trust in the generosity of his disciples, which he did. So he consecrated the life of poverty and showed us that it's compatible with the life of, of human fullness and human flourishing. Um, and then we're told also about this preferential treatment which Christ gave to the poor in his own ministry. The fact, for example, that he had chose apostles um, from amongst fishermen, from not, not from amongst the, the wealthy and the elite, but from people who, who had lived up to then relatively humble lives. So all of these things show us, um, through the example of the life of Christ, that poverty um, is, is something which, with our spiritual flourishing and can also be a wonderful expression of our love for God. And he writes, an indication of a genuine spirit of evangelic poverty is to have no concern for transitory things, but to commit oneself entirely to the care of God with confidence and simplicity. I'm wondering, Indeed. Father, is it is it possible to have a spirit of poverty while also being materially wealthy? Or is, is it or are we kidding ourselves when we when we think like, oh, I'm yeah, I have this spirit of evangelic poverty. Is I don't I don't care about the transitory things I have, but I have them. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I guess Eddie, in in such cases, it would call one for careful discernment because mm -hmm. sometimes we can very easily imagine that we have a spirit of poverty um, and detachment and trust in providence when the reality is we've got nothing to all. But, you know, I think it is possible to have this spirit of poverty because from time to time we're called to give up things, to go without things. It doesn't matter how rich we are. This person in the world sometimes, you know, is poor in time, maybe doesn't have the opportunities to, to rest, to do whatever they want. So that there's different forms of poverty that people take on. And they're not necessarily material poverty. Um, and this this trust in the providence of God, I think, is so key um, because it extends not just to our own well-being, but also the well-being of, of our children, our relatives, our loved ones, and so forth. So I think there's no conflict. There's no impossibility between having poverty of spirit while at the same time being materially prosperous. And we know that from the example of the many um, wealthy disciples who are mentioned also in the wow. course of the gospel. Yeah, thank you so much, Father Robert Nixon. You can find The Paradise of the Soul linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Be sure to hit the subscribe button while you are over there checking out all of our guests in our show notes for the day. You can get it all in your email every day as we go on the air. We got headlines coming up next. It's 17 past. Support is for MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. 
Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. Support is from Affirm Films comes Journey to Bethlehem, a Christmas musical film for the whole family. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. Look at the star. This is it. Do you truly believe that this child is the chosen one? What is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem. Rated PG. Federal guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere this Friday. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Saints are the heroes of the Catholic faith. They serve as examples for all Catholics, showing us how to lead a more satisfying, more spiritual life in communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. View our comprehensive documentation of saints who serve as theologians and doctors of the Church. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN is the Global Catholic Network. 20 past, here's Anna with headlines. Polls are opening across the country today with several consequential votes for the pro-life community on this election day. As many as 45 U.S. service members have been injured in recent attacks in Iraq and Syria. And Pope Francis met yesterday with a delegation from the Conference of European Rabbis and also with some 7,000 children. Oh, very cool. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It is Election Day. Pray fast. Do whatever you can. You you can only do one thing per person in there at the ballot box. But you can pray for the whole wide world. Pray the rosary especially for world peace today. It's 21 past. Of anything pumpkin-flavored and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh, how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. 
She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood. The feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place, since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on a Tuesday morning. Christy Baller is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. She's regional coordinator for Central Ohio for the Silent No More Awareness Campaign. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thanks. It is good to have you. And I know that you have been among those working to defeat issue one in Ohio, which I think Sunrise Morning Show listeners are quite familiar with. But just in case, it's the proposed amendment on the ballot today that would enshrine abortion in our state constitution. And you have been working as part of a coalition known as Protect Women Ohio. Now, Christy, the title of this proposed amendment is The Right to Reproductive Freedom with Protections for Health and Safety. So it sounds like they want to protect women. Christy, what gives here? (laughs) Yeah, um, that's incredibly misleading, and I'm sure done on purpose. Um, This amendment would do anything but protect women. And it certainly wouldn't protect children and minors. So, yeah, you know, um, I forget who the saint was, but um, maybe John Chrysostom said that, um, yeah, that evil is often disguised as something good. Mm. So I think that's the case here, that they have disguised it to make it look um, and sound um, good to people. Can you talk about the, well, the way that this amendment and in, in the language could actually remove protections for health and safety? Well, sure. So, first of all, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't provide the protections or uh, a guaranteed protections for women who are um, having abortions. So because uh, the language is, is so broad and um, undefined, it, it actually uh, would allow for abortions to be unregulated. It would allow for laws that we have, common sense laws that we have currently, um, that would require an abortion facility to to obey medical regulations and and it those those laws could be labeled a burden under the language of this amendment um and therefore make it 
very difficult to to protect women from those very organizations that put profit above their health and safety and do not want to use the expense of 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 or have the expense of taking care of women properly um but only to um grind them out mm. in numbers was that your experience christy it it absolutely was um when i had an abortion uh i i was uh at a facility that was a very large facility and there were lots and lots of women and we were pretty much an assembly line and um yeah just a number and there was you know the, back then there was nothing to to say that i needed any kind of counseling or that i needed um you know time to consider what i was doing um to be given other options and so yeah it's it's not what people think it is. It's not this wonderful thing with you, you know, the woman and her and her doctor. I never saw the physician before or after. It was in. It was out. Um, and unfortunately, um, it was something that that affected severely the rest of my life. Christy, as someone who is post-abortive, as somebody who has regretted her abortion. What has been your message to people as you've been going around Ohio uh, talking about issue one? Well, basically, my message is that we have millions of women who have been affected and men who have been affected by abortion um, that, that are hidden and not being recognized um they those of us who have been involved in abortion have held this secret often for years and decades um suffering silently um it was only after my healing that i was able to um follow god's call for me to speak out um and let others know that that those of us who regret our abortions, um, we, we were told that this was a solution to a problem that was only a short-term problem, but it created life-altering problems from, from that point on. And um, so my message is we need to stop and really care for women and their children. Um, one of the things I, I, I say is that you know, every mother and child are are in, inextricably linked from the moment of conception. And you just cannot hurt a child without hurting the mother in some way, shape, or form. And consequently, also, you cannot help a mother without helping her child. Yeah. So there are options now, and there are people, um, there are pregnancy resource centers, and there are charities, faith-based charities, that are willing to to help um, women. And our Catholic Church has a wonderful initiative of walking with moms in need. And we're there for women now. And we can help women so that they do not have to make a choice between their child and whatever circumstance they're living in. 
Amen. We've been talking to Christy Baller. She's with the Silent No More Awareness Campaign and Protect Women Ohio, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Christy, really appreciate your witness, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And if there's anyone out there who has not voted or, or hasn't, <laughs> hasn't voted yet, please, we need you to, to stop this uh, horrific um, amendment and go out and vote no today. And if you are in our national audience, please pray for Ohio. In fact, join me right now. It occurred to me over the weekend that we should be asking for the intercession of every Ohio voter's guardian angel. And so let's pray the guardian angel prayer now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love entrusts me here, ever this day be at my side, to light, to guard, to rule, to guide. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 31 minutes past the hour now. It's time for news. Polls are open now across the eastern time zone and largely in the central time zone as well with consequential votes for the culture of life on this election day. The pro-life community particularly focused on the state of Ohio where voters will decide whether to enshrine abortion in the state constitution. Elsewhere, there's a heated gubernatorial race in Kentucky where the two candidates have campaigned heavily on the Commonwealth's current abortion ban. Democrat Andy Bashir is seeking re-election and is being challenged by the state attorney general, Daniel Cameron. Virginia's 15-week abortion ban could hang in the balance with all 140 seats and therefore control of the Virginia General Assembly up for a vote today. In Mississippi, meanwhile, is another governor's race. Governor Tate Reeves is seeking re-election against challenger Brandon Presley, who is trying to be the first Democrat elected Mississippi governor in two decades. As many as 45 U.S. service members have been injured in recent attacks in Iraq and Syria. Mark Mayfield has the story. NBC News reports that's more than twice as many as the Pentagon had previously disclosed. Bases housing U.S. personnel have been attacked dozens of times since October following the start of the war between Israel and Hamas. The drone and rocket attacks are believed to have been carried out by groups linked to Iran. The military is monitoring about two dozen service members who may have suffered traumatic brain injuries during the attacks. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis met yesterday with some 7,000 children. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Francisco. Pope Francis welcomed children from around the world to the Vatican's Paul VI Hall to share a few moments of joy and laughter during a meeting themed, Let's Learn from Boys and Girls. Addressing the young audience, the Pope expressed his gratitude to the children and those who accompanied them, as well as the organizers of the event, including Cardinal Jose Tolentino and the Dicastery for Culture and Education. The Pope also acknowledged all the other families and organizations contributing to this event. Pope Francis began his address by acknowledging the theme as being unique about learning from children. And he underscored the importance of learning from children as they continually offer valuable lessons to the world. And the Pope described how children embody the beauty of life in its simplicity and the joy of being together, two gifts from God that should be cherished, he noted. Pope Francis then urged the children to proclaim together that life is a gift. God loves us. We are all brothers and sisters. 
The Pope repeated those words and asked his young audience to repeat them after him. La vita è un dono. Tutti insieme? Non si sente bene? È così. La vita è un dono, un dono bellissimo. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Pope Francis also met yesterday with a delegation from the Conference of European Rabbis. Vatican News reports the Holy Father focused with them on the importance of Jewish-Christian dialogue in bringing about peace and justice in the Holy Land. He also condemned the rise in anti-Semitic attacks. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. It is amazing that the more things change, the more they remain the same. In many parishes, there are disputes about the celebration of the Holy Eucharist. Some want this and others want that. The great act of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which is at its center to effect unity in the church, instead brings about division. St. Paul faced the same problem with the Corinthians. He was not pleased with how the church was celebrating the Lord's Supper. He writes, When you meet together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, and one is hungry, and the other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. Paul warns the Corinthians that whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of Christ. Paul's concern is also our concern. When we come to Mass, we need to be mentally and spiritually prepared. Let us prepare our souls by prayer and confession and our bodies by the fast. In that way, we do not bring judgment upon ourselves, but grace. This is what the heart of Paul teaches us. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Steve Ray from CatholicConvert.com. We've been going through the mysteries of the rosary, taking uh, one set of them at a time, and today we talk about the sorrowful mysteries. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So I really want to tap in today uh, because you've been to these places and give us kind of like a, well, like a Steve's eye view of (laughs) of some of this stuff. Uh, I want to start with the agony in the garden, the first sorrowful mystery. You've been to the garden. So what's it like? 
Oh, I've been there 200 times. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's not like it was in the time of Jesus. It was a hillside, and everybody lived within the walls of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives and Gethsemane were up on the hillside, looking over the city of Jerusalem. But today, it's all busy streets and so on. But there is the Franciscans have a wall around it, and there's a beautiful church, the Church of the Agony. Inside, there is the rock where Jesus sweat drops of blood, where we have our mass around that rock. And there are still trees around that church. And the interesting thing, Matt, is that biologists have told us that at least six of those trees are over 2,000 years old. That means if those trees had ears and eyes and a mouth, they could tell you what they saw on the night of Jesus's agony in that garden. And you can sit there and look at those trees and know that those trees were there when Jesus was there, which is really an eye-opener. Which is a wild, wild thought for a number of reasons, because there's buildings that were around in that era that we've got remnants of, but that's rocks. These are living things. Yep. <laughs> that's they a are. different Yeah, kind they're of living story. things that, that witnesses. And one of the things I would bring out about these mysteries, when people pray the sorrowful mysteries, all through, they should be thinking garden, a garden. Why? Because this is an agony in the garden. It also, when we get to the crucifixion, Jesus is in a garden. John tells us that he's in a garden. And that always, when we hear garden in this way, it should take us back to the primordial garden of the Garden of Eden, because the sin that came into the garden there is now being rewound. It's being removed. It's being, it's called recapitulation is the fancy word. But Jesus is the new Adam. He steps into a new garden of Gethsemane, and that's where the sins of the world fell on him. That's why he just was in agony. He wasn't in agony. I think the pain of the crucifixion was going to be agonizing, no doubt about it. But I think the biggest pain that he had was spiritual, emotional, uh, psychological, because he was taking on the sins of the world. He is the holy, holy, holy one of God. He is holy. And yet here he now takes the sins of the world into his own body. Just think of the agony that God suffered at that moment. Well, how about the scourging of the pillar? Because that certainly is a moment of agony. Yes, it, that certainly is too. The Jews, when they whipped their own people, when they had their justice and someone was accused of a crime, they could lash their own people, but they were limited to 40 lashes. The Romans had no limitations. They could whip a person as long and as hard as they wanted. And everyone, we saw Mel Gibson's movie. I think it was very literal. It was very it was a work of art and history. Everyone within 20 feet of Jesus's the flagellation was splattered with his blood and bits of his flesh. It was a brutal beating that he got so that it was very difficult for him to walk or even to, to move after that point. And in Isaiah 53, we have the wonderful phrase, by his stripes we are healed. And we as Christians look back at that now and say that was a prophetic statement. It was of Jesus going as the lamb to the slaughter and by his stripes, this whip of a flagellum. That's how we were healed. He took our punishment for us and we're set free from sin. Well, you could spend a lot of time on this next mystery, the third sorrowful mystery, the crowning with thorns. But what did you want to highlight today? 
Well, I would highlight that this was not done to everybody. This was only done because these men who were the Roman army, and most of them were conscripts from Egypt and Syria. They weren't from Rome. Most of the soldiers, the, the guys in the sandals, and they were from the countries around, and they were the enemies of Israel, the perennial enemies. And they said, we have the king of who? The king of the Jews. You say he's the king of the Jews. Oh, we're going to have some fun with him. So they get a purple robe, and they put they make a crown of thorns. They don't do that for everyone. They did it for Jesus because they were mocking him because they considered him the enemy, the king of the Jews, and they were there to punish him and to have fun with him, sporting it, so to speak. But also, remember in the garden, remember I said you have to keep thinking of garden through these all these sorrowful mysteries. In the garden, what was the curse of Adam's sin? It was going to be that the ground would produce thorns and thistles. What is Jesus wearing on his head? He's going to the cross carrying not only our sins, but he's also there carrying the sign of the curse of the earth because we know that when he died on the cross, he was also liberating the universe, at least our earth, from the stain of sin that it had been cursed with because of Adam and Eve. So I think that crown of thorns on his head was a sign that he was also reacting to the curse upon the earth and was going to remove that by his crucifixion. There's just layers and layers uh, of things to reflect. Oh, yeah. One more thing, by the way. Remember when Abraham offered his son Isaac on the same mountain, by the way? Mm -hmm. He found the ram with his head stuck in a thorn bush. What was Jesus' head? Jesus had his head stuck in a thorn bush, too. Well, that brings us very seamlessly to the carrying the cross. Uh, And since we don't have a whole lot of time to focus on these last two mysteries, you should talk about that Abraham thing because there's such a powerful image that connects the carrying of the cross back to that very event. It does, because it says that Isaac, who was by that time a young man, he wasn't a little boy anymore. He was an old, probably 15, 16 years old. He was a willing victim. There's no way his father could have tied him up and put him on that altar without Isaac's cooperation, just like Jesus cooperated with his father when his father brought him. It says that Abraham loved his only begotten son and went to offer him as a sacrifice. Well, God the Father loved his only begotten son 2,000 years later and brought him for a sacrifice to the same place. And it said that Isaac went up carrying the wood of the sacrifice on his back. And what did Jesus carry on his back when he went up the same place? He carried the wood of the sacrifice. So you have in this image of Jesus carrying his cross, Isaac carrying the wood of the sacrifice there. The whole story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, by the way, I just wrote a book on all of this. But that book, uh, that is a picture of what's going to come another God, when another father of an only begotten son would take his son up to the same place in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, and offer him as a sacrifice. The imagery is just stunning. Well, it is it is a powerful thing to, to, to think about uh, all of it. Uh, but as we go to this last mystery of, of the last of the sorrowful mysteries, Jesus is crucified and dies on the cross. You know, we were we were talking about uh, this in, in my OCIA classes a couple weeks ago and, you know, explaining how the church looks at these questions. And in the catechism, it goes through the political things like what was uh, he doing to upset the Jewish leadership? What was he doing to upset the Roman authorities? <clears throat> and so the question might be a merely political one. Uh, you know, which one of those is responsible for the death of Christ, but the Catechism makes it very clear. It's actually uh, rather unfortunate and uncomfortable to hear, but unfortunately, Steve, you and I are actually the ones responsible here, and uh, it's clear. 
and if you want to see a great picture of this, do a Google search of Rembrandt raising the cross, and you'll see a graphic image of the cross being raised. But the man who's really pulling the cross up has a Dutch painter's beret on his head. They didn't wear Dutch painter's berets back in the first century. That is a portrait, a self-image portrait of Rembrandt, who's raising Christ. And he's saying in that painting, I'm the one that put Christ on the cross. It was my sins. I'm the one that raised him on the cross. And in the background, you see the centurion, and he's handing you, it's hard to see, but he's handing you the sword, the lance. He's holding the blade and handing you the handle. He's saying, it's also your sins. So go ahead, you stab him in the side. So look up Rembrandt's uh, raising of the cross. It's a, a wonderful image. It tells us who really put Christ on the cross. It was our sins. Well, it's a hard thing to, to meditate on, but uh, Jesus wants us to keep the cross before us, right? We're supposed to take up our cross and follow him in yep. the sorrowful mysteries being prayed uh, every week, right? Um, we, we bring these yep. back around. The church wants us to remember these. And uh, at every Mass. Yep. And that's why, well. we have, that's why we have crucifixes in our church to remind us of the cost of our sins and on our in our homes around our necks and, and yep. everywhere else so and christ suffered uh again because of our sins but he also suffered to show us that he you can say a lot of things about jesus but you can't say lord you don't understand <laughs> right <laughs> because he does That's right he does he's been yep. through it all steve we've got catholicconvert.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com thanks so much have a wonderful day talk to you next week all right, tomorrow's the Feast of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and in the Office of Readings, we get to look at some thoughts from her with Chris McGregor. Stay with us. It's 14 till. Support is for MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Daily Dose of Encouragement, hosted by Patty Schneier, provides insightful and inspirational thoughts by bringing spiritual insights to everyday living. You can hear Daily Dose of Encouragement as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTNRadio.net slash podcasts today. On the next More to Light, trust in me. 
Has someone broken your trust? We'll help you heal your relationship. That's later today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 11 till, here's Anna with headlines. Voters are headed to the polls today, and the pro-life community is watching and praying for Ohio, especially where a proposed constitutional amendment to enshrine abortion is on the ballot today. Humanitarian aid is flowing into Gaza, but U.S. officials are saying it is not enough. And Pope Francis yesterday met with a delegation from the Conference of European Rabbis and separately with some 7,000 children. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Anna. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you. And our selection from the Office of Readings for this week is for the November 8th Feast of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. She is your girl. What should we know about her? We love St. Elizabeth of the Trinity here at Discerning Hearts. She is someone who was introduced to us uh, long ago by Dr. Anthony Lillis, probably mm-hmm. one of the premier scholars on this great saint, who whose mission was to help bring people into a deeper prayer, into the heart of the Trinity. She was much beloved by St. John Paul II. And I was just so excited to be with Dr. Lillis on October 16th of 2016. I remember it so well because Man. we were hoping for it. That's when... She became a saint. Wow. And so, um, yeah, St. Elizabeth the Trinity, a beautiful Carmelite uh, who died in 1906 at a young age. It's very similar in some ways to St. Therese. Mm. And in this reading that we have in the Divine Office for her feast day is actually a prayer she wrote, correct? It is. It's, it's, it was actually placed in the catechism before she even became a blessed such a beautiful uh, one of the few that had uh, had uh, been placed for our reflection that was not at that time by a saint or a blessed but then she that turned around and of course it's the holy trinity whom i adore and it has such profound insights on the relationship of the trinity and our um, our interaction our our dwelling within it and so we're we're just so grateful they have St. Elizabeth the Trinity in the Office of Reading, especially for tomorrow. All right. The language in this prayer is incredible, Chris. I know you know this, but I'm, I'm looking at these lines like, Make my soul your heaven. Come upon me and create in my soul a kind of incarnation of the word that I may be another humanity for him. And I've read that this morning. I was like, whoa. If I thought about and desired my life to be another humanity for Jesus, like, wow, that's unreal. Oh, but that's exactly what happened when you, when you, uh, by virtue of probably your parents initially, but then your continual yes mm-hmm. to that invitation at baptism. When we say yes 
then he comes and he makes his dwelling within us. And that's something that Elizabeth of the Trinity in her great retreats, Heaven and Faith, and then last retreat, she's constantly reminding us, don't forget what happened at your baptism, because he comes to dwell in us. I became another tabernacle. And he comes in not just a, a tabernacle, but an actual another humanity that he can go out and live out in the world and touch others and love others. Let him come and dwell in me and let me become little so he can do his work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And she's such a beautiful example of, of that very point that, uh, that we can live out our baptism. I was also struck by the line, Chris, and I'm hoping you can reflect mm-hmm. on this. I surrender myself as your prey Wow. How about that? That is the line that always jumps out for everybody. Because <laughs> when we think about what's what does that mean, I'm going to be your prey, it's like Jesus says, you know, what is he, a lion? Well, mm-hmm. sometimes he is. He's like Aslam. But um, he also is, it's what she is in, uh, as Dr. Lillis breaks open for so many of us to understand that, it's that it's in our complete surrender. Take me. You know, You know, just allow me. You have come for me take me. I surrender myself. That's why he came into the world, to bring the souls back into into relationship, into the heart of the Trinity with the Father. He comes, he wants to consume us. We hear that so often in the, in the writings of the, of the saints. So what Elizabeth of, of the Trinity is just saying, here I am. I'm way out there. Let me be your prey. Take me. I surrender myself completely to you. It's uh, quite a remarkable thought, isn't it? Holy surrendered to your creative action as she puts it. Yeah, yeah, I love that idea of being consumed because we consume the Lord and in so doing, we can then be consumed by him. Exactly. I mean, in in this, it's so uh, compelling because in that third paragraph, she really highlights the relationships of the of the Holy Spirit come upon me and creating my soul, a kind of incarnation of the word. I may be in, like, as you said, another humanity for him in which he can renew his whole ministry, um, a mystery. Oh, Father, bending lovingly over your poor little creature, cover her with your shadow, Mm. seeing in her only the beloved in whom you are well pleased. See, again, that is so anchored into the, it goes all the way back to the scriptures. It's such a Carmelite way, but it's also very much a Christian, a very much a Catholic way. It's that Galatians 2.20. It is not I who live, but it's Christ who dwells in me. Yeah. And, and she said, there's such a poignant line in here. Let me never, uh, may I never leave you there alone, but be wholly present, my faith, wholly vigilant, wholly adoring, wholly surrendered to your creative action. Where? May I never leave you alone? Where? inside of me. Don't let me forget. You know, oftentimes, Anna, we talk about adoration, how it's important to sit with the Lord, and it is. It's one of my great devotional practices to go before the Blessed Sacrament and pray. And we encourage that. But what Elizabeth is saying, don't leave him alone inside of you. He's as much present there inside of you because he's made his dwelling. That's his home. How was she taught this? She knew this. That's the great... She, she could become a doctor of the church one day, this wisdom that this little this little Carmelite nun, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, so wonderful. Don't miss her retreats, her, her heaven and faith and last retreat as well. I have 
chills. Do not leave him alone inside of yourself. I'm going to be thinking about that one all day long, Chris. You can find discerninghearts.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. They got all kinds of stuff about Elizabeth of the Trinity there. Mm -hmm. Chris, thank you so much. You're welcome, my dear. Have a good day. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.